Well, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we've been in a series entitled The Gift. And we've been looking at the three gifts the wise men brought to Jesus. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, the wise men were magis or, or, or astrologers who, who traveled at least 400 to 700 miles from the east to worship Jesus. They were wealthy, educated Gentiles. And what we've been doing is over the past two weeks, we've just been looking at what we would call the unusual gifts they would bring to a child. As it's found in Matthew chapter 2. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 2. Starting with the ninth verse. And it says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And what did they do? What did the wise men do? Come on, let's read it all together. It's italicized there. They bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You may be seated. Two weeks ago, we took a look at the significance, the spiritual significance of myrrh, how myrrh was a spice that was one of the uses was used for embalming or burial preparation. And when that was presented to Jesus at his birth, it was prophetic that Jesus was born to die. He was born to be a suffering servant that became our Savior. Last week, Pastor Matt, we took a look at frankincense. Frankincense is one of the main ingredients in the incense that is burned in the tabernacle at the altar of incense, where that incense made a beautiful fragrance. And incense in the Bible is often referred to as the prayers of the people. And now how does frankincense represent Christ? We know that Jesus Christ is our high priest. And he sits alongside the right hand of God. And what does he do? He always makes intercession for you and I. He's always praying for you and I. Today, we're going to take a look at gold. Gold for the king of kings. Now, gold was often used in extravagant buildings. Like Solomon's temple was characterized by gold. And when you read of the items that were in the tabernacle, many of them were made of gold. We know that someday, hey, how many know that Bob Calabrese is walking on streets of gold this morning in heaven? We know that the streets, there are referred to streets of gold in heaven. Gold is often that which is extravagant, influential. And when the gift of gold was given to the child, it symbolized his royal and regal status as king. 
Now, before I move on, is, would it be okay if we play a little game today? I want to play a little game entitled Name That King. All right, it's real simple, and I've tried to include all generations from the silent generation to generation Z. And the first one probably is for generation X, Y, Z, generation X, the millennials, and generation Z. Maybe some of you else will know it, but this one's primarily for you guys. Name that king. Lion King, Simba and Mufasa. Now, this next king, I'm sure, applies to all generations. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce, special orders. Don't upset us. Now, probably the younger generation is not going to know this next one, but you have to think of scary novels. Stephen, oh, look at that. You got it there, Ryan. Give him a Big Mac, I mean a Whopper. <laughs> Stephen King. This next one, I would hope all generations would know and realize the significance he made. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the great civil rights leader. All right, for all my boomers out there, where are my boomers? Here you go, baby boomers. You should know this one. Billy Jean King. Remember September 1973, the Battle of the Sexes, where she played Bobby Riggs and beat him? Well, if you're into watching TV and interviews, obviously the next one should be familiar. Larry King, you knew that even before I uh, brought it up. And for my silent generation, uh, this one dates back a little bit. Uh, you should know the great jazz legend, B.B. King. And this list would not be complete without one of my favorite female singers. Carol King. But today, I want to talk to you about a king like no other. The problem is the Jews expected their king to be born in a palace, in comfort, in luxury, in wealth. They did not expect Messiah, their king, to be born in poverty, in a cave, laid in a feeding trough, with farm animals around. Who would expect the king to be the son of a carpenter? From Nazareth, born and raised, uh, raised in Nazareth. As Nathaniel said and posed this question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And who could have predicted that the king of king, the son of God, would befriend prostitutes, touch lepers, and love those whom the religious 
institute rejected. It'd be hard to imagine that he would pick uneducated fishermen and despise tax collectors to, to be his disciples. Who could imagine that the king of kings would forgive a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery when the law said to stone her, yet he would challenge the hypocrisy of the Pharisees again and again and even overturn the tables in the temple as they used it for their own personal gain. And who would imagine that their king would have rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Who could expect that their king would be put on trials for crimes he could not he did not commit? And who could even imagine that he would be found guilty, scourged, whipped, beaten, sentenced to die on a cross like criminals of that age. Who would think that as he hung there and people passed by, they would mock and spit on him and he would utter these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he breathed his last breath, who could predict that the sky would turn dark, the earth would shake, and their king would be buried in a borrowed tomb? And who would think that three days later some woman would come to check on the tomb and they found the stone rolled away and the tomb was empty. This king was raised from the dead and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This is the way God showed his love to you and I that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. This message, this king that is like none other, it was a message for the entire world. It was a global message. When the heavenly host appeared to the the shepherds, the, the, the night that Jesus was born, the, the angel proclaimed, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, every tongue, every nation, every tribe. God so loved every nation, every tongue, every tribe that he gave his son. 
to be born and to die for us. He is a king like no other. On his robe and on his thigh, the name is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As I thought about this event in history, I started to take a look at how people responded. And I want to share with you three responses of that day. But what I found so interesting is that 2,000 years later, people respond one of these three ways like they did back then. First, I want to talk to you how King Herod opposed Jesus as king. Now, when I was in grammar school, went to Califon Grammar School, we had 20 in my class. At the end of the school, there was this little slope. The building came right, and there was like this little ledge that you could stand on, and then it sloped down from like here to Bob Bauman, just a nice little slope. And these were the days before no one left behind. Remember? No one left behind. And in my class, we had one who was left behind. So he was a year older than all of us, a year bigger than all of us, a year stronger than all of us. His name was, and just the name alone, Walter Brunt. And before school, he would claim his domain. His kingdom was the top of that hill. How many of you played King of the Hill? And he would stand on that hill challenging the other 14 boys in the class. Four of them could care less. So there were 10 of us there before school wanting to get his domain. And he would just stand up there with his black leather coat and all of us had our parkas with the fur around it, challenging us. And every once in a while, we would get a scheme where we could send four people up one way, and then one person would go up. But as soon as you got to the hill and you saw him coming, you sounded the alarms of retreat. You you waved the white flag. It was like, forget it. It's not worth it. That was King Herod. King Herod was very protective of his reign, of his kingdom. He was a ruthless fighter. In fact, history tells us that he had his wife and his two sons that were associated with her killed. He was very jealous and wanted to rule and reign forever. Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the time of King Herod's reign. And when the Magi came to King Herod and asked, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Well, do you know what this did to King Herod? It just rose his jealous spirit. He becomes very agitated, very insecure. And most of you know that he gave orders 
to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. No one was going to take his throne from him. But we know that his plan spoiled because God intervened and in the middle of the night came to Joseph. An angel came to Joseph in a dream and told him to flee to Egypt. He, Mary, and the boy to flee to Egypt now. Now, you're able to understand not just the spiritual significance of those gifts, but the practical applications of those gifts. You see, Joseph was like me. He didn't have an ATM card. He couldn't just go to the ATM machine and get cash on emergency because he knew he would have to leave the country. Some of you are looking at me like, you don't have an ATM card? I've never been to an ATM machine. <laughs> What's the spiritual significance? What's the practical spirit? We know that Mary and Joseph were poor. I'll get to that in a minute. But we believe the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were those gifts that were able to support and sustain them while they were in Egypt until Herod died. How many know that God plans ahead? God knows all things. God provides for us what we need even before it happens. When Jesus was born, eight days later, he was circumcised. And then 33 days after that, according to Leviticus chapter 12, Mary had to go to the temple for purification, which required the sacrifice of a lamb. But there in Leviticus chapter 12, it talks about if you can't afford a lamb, you can offer two doves or two pigeons. We know that when Mary went to the temple for her purification rites, she offered two doves or two pigeons. Therefore, we believe, I believe, that the wise men did not visit until after that 40-day period. Because if they had had, Mary and Joseph would have had enough money to offer a lamb. Therefore, we know that the wise men probably did not come until after that 40-day period. And specifically after he turned two. So in that period is when he came. But you know, there are people like Herod who still oppose Christ today. I don't need someone telling me how to run my life. I don't need to read a book that's how old. Why do I need to go to church? I'm doing a pretty good job with my life. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to live the way I want to. And I don't need anybody telling me the principles that I need to live by. I have my own principles. That's King Herod. The next group I want to talk about is the Jewish priests. How they dismissed Jesus as king. Now just bear with me. 
priests were one who knew the word of God. There were scribes. Priests could quote scriptures. The priests who were in the temple there in Jerusalem, listen, Bethlehem was a little more than five miles away. If wise men could travel four to 700 miles away to worship Jesus, why didn't the priests who know scriptures travel just two hours to worship? They knew Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one from me who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from old and ancient times. And you may say, well, maybe they didn't even have knowledge that he was born. Well, let me also say that we know when the shepherds saw baby Jesus there in the manger, they went out, and you know, they're literally the first missionaries, because they went out and told. And you can't tell me that story didn't travel five miles to Jerusalem. But nowhere in the Christmas story do we read about the priests coming, even out of curiosity, to worship this king. And you know, like those Jewish priests, there are people today who just dismiss him as king. Hey, why don't you come to church with me? Nah. Hey, our church started these small groups. I'm a part of the small groups. I know you would love it. Why don't you come with me and join me in this small group? No, thanks. Hey, our church gives out these daily breads. They're little devotionals, and they're great every day. You read one every day. Here, I want you to have it. No, I don't have the time. And excuses go on and on that there are people even today who will dismiss Jesus as king. But then you have the wise men who bowed. The ultimate expression of respect and reverence and awe to honor a king is the submission is to kneel and to bow. Despite what we have, despite what we know, despite of our education, despite of our wealth, those wise men traveled anywhere from four to 700 miles. And when they saw Messiah, when they saw the king, in reverence, in humility, in respect, they bowed and they worshiped him as king. Listen, I, I want to be as sincere, but where, where do you fit in today? That's okay, I, Pastor, I don't need someone tell me how to run my life. Are you like Herod? Or perhaps, you know, Pastor, I, I did my time in church as a kid, and, and, and 
you know what, at some time, life is busy right now, and our kids are active, and we have so many things to do, and, you know, as life slows down, maybe I'll get back into church. Do you, do you dismiss them? Or like the wise men, do you worship him as the king of your life? Why do we call Christ the king of kings? Hey, a king needs a kingdom. And I want to tell you about Christ has a kingdom. It's a kingdom of peace where we read where he will wipe every tear from your eye and there'll be more, no more sorrow or pain. Come on, somebody. We read about a kingdom of newness and restoration where he makes all things new. Man, I'm just waiting for that new glorified body. And Isaiah chapter 9 tells us that his government, there shall be no end. It's an everlasting kingdom. The king needs a kingdom, and Jesus has a kingdom. A kingdom needs a throne. How many knows that Jesus has a throne? Worship team, you can come. To him who overcomes, I will give him the right to sit on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus has a throne. He has a kingdom. But a king also needs a crown. How many knows Jesus has a crown? I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider had a bow, and he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror bent on a conquest. How many know that along with a kingdom and a throne and a crown, a king needs a staff. He needs a scepter. And we read in Scripture, and the righteousness will be his scepter of your kingdom. He will rule with an iron scepter. How many know a king who defends us needs a sharp instrument to defend his kingdom? I want you to know that Jesus has a sword and out of his mouth comes a sharp sword which which to strike down nations. Aren't you glad that his word is a sword of the spirit where you can defend and fight off the temptations of the evil one? It says in Revelation 17, 4, they will make war against the lamb. They will make war against the lamb. But the Lamb will overcome them because He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. He's got an army. How many know that a king needs power? And Jesus said, all power, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And I love Ecclesiastes 8.4. Since a king's word is supreme, since a king's word is sovereign, who can say to him, what are you doing? I want to tell you about a king like no other. Jesus is king. He heals the sick. 
He opens blind eyes. He heals deaf ears. He gives strength to the weak. He sets free the captive. He restores those who are hurting and broken. At the mention of his name, darkness trembles. In his presence, demons flee. Satan hates him, but cannot stop him. He conquered death. Death could not defeat him. The grave could not hold him. He is like a king like no other. His kingdom shall reign forever. And he is my king. And I pray that he is your king. I pray that you don't oppose him like King Herod. I pray that you don't dismiss him like the priests. My prayer is like the wise men. You will come and bow and worship at his feet.